Well, good morning again and welcome to Trinity. We're glad that you're here with us today. We get the joy and privilege of being able to gather, to sing, and to, to take communion together and to hear the word together. We get to fellowship in this way together, and it's good for our souls. The church has been doing this for centuries, and we are part of something big and great and glorious that God is doing at work in and through our lives and through things like Trinity Baptist Church in Nashua, <clears throat> New Hampshire. So, again, a joy to be able to gather <clears throat> and connect in this way. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. We're coming to the end of this letter, and we've slowed down to look at this armor of God, this call to take up the whole armor of God. What sort of encouragement that is for the believer and for the church in light of the world in which we live in. How we can go about living out our lives, making much of the God who's rescued us in a way that helps others come to know that very same God of grace. Today, especially, is that drawn out as we consider the footwear of the one who is equipped with the gospel. We're going to read verses 13 and 15 as we consider uh, the gospel footwear, the the shoes, the boots, if you will, uh, that Paul has in mind here. Let's hear God's word. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Let's pray. As we consider your word, we ask that you would be with us and help us in the preaching and the hearing of your word, that it would be good for our souls, that it would bring you glory and strengthen our faith. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. My generation saw the rise of the sneakerhead. The formal definition of a sneakerhead is a person who collects, trades, admires sneakers as a form of hobby. Sneakerheads, like any collector, they are super knowledgeable about the history of their hobby, investing lots and great amounts of time, energy, and money. This phenomenon started in the 1970s with the rise of streetball or park ball in New York City. That is, basketball being played at local parks and in boroughs. Shoe companies took advantage of it, capitalizing on the coolness factor. Sneakerhead as a way of life took another step when Nike introduced the Air Force Ones, but then launched into the stratosphere of mainstream with the Nike Jordans. Such a cultural moment were the Jordans that the impact still burns bright to this very day, as evident in the constant releases of retro versions of the Jordans that immediately sell out and then are profited upon in resale markets. And with the highly reviewed movie that's out that's called Air, it's the story of how Nike landed Jordan and created a whole generation of sneakerheads. Ironically, Very little or minimal wearing of these collected, appreciated, and admired shoes happens. When they are worn, it is with calculated care and attention to every possible condition of that day. The goal is to get through the day with no creases and lots of admiration from others. I mean, I wouldn't say no to a pair of size 12 Jordan 1 retro high dark mochas, but I also wouldn't wear them very often, they would be worn sparingly. A sneakerhead's 
closet is more of a museum of admired, collected works of art than it is where the footwear of day-to-day living would be kept. Paul's a sneakerhead. But not like the sneakerhead of our day. Yes, he admires and appreciates the footwear, investing lots of his passion and time and energy in it. But these shoes that Paul is speaking about aren't to be put on only for special occasions, carefully curated to maximize the envy of others. No, these sneakers are to be worn in the everydayness of life. They are to be worn with great joy and great readiness for whatever the day might bring. The believer is outfitted in Christ for joy and for readiness in this life. Even if the world schemes against that very joy and readiness, we are to be outfitted with it. And instead of the very little wearing of collected artifacts, the shoes of the believer are actually to be well-worn, to embrace the creases and the smudges of life. (laughs) Pains me to say it. But for the believer, all of that is to be embraced, knowing that these shoes equip us with the readiness for everyday life. And that's it. We're to be ready in this life. Ready with something incredible. Ready no matter what our cultural moment may look like. Ready to share the good news of peace. That that's what we believers are to be outfitted with. And this readiness is to show up in how we live. We are to live with it. A sense of readiness. That's what these shoes are conjuring up. This is what Paul is trying to drive home. That the readiness that we are to live with is first a readiness or to be ready to show good news. To show good news. And that we are to be ready to share good news. In light of our showing, we have the opportunity of sharing. So we are to be ready to show good news and ready to share good news. That's what these shoes, these gospel shoes are to inspire and encourage in us. So let's consider those two thoughts together. First, the readiness to show good news. Now think about it. What it is that is being shown? Well, it is the overflow that comes from good news, good news of peace. And so naturally that this is the joy of good news. Now let's think about some things. Shoes in Paul's day, first of all. Shoes in Paul's day. Generally speaking, the people who had shoes in Paul's day were the wealthy soldiers and couriers, generally speaking. The wealthy, because they were able to have the best of whatever was available. That shouldn't be a surprise. But for soldiers and couriers, their very lives, their very livelihood depended on proper footwear. It gave them the ability to travel different terrain efficiently and for great distances. That's what shoes were like in Paul's day. That's the role they played. So what kind of shoes were on Paul's mind? Well, once again, the armor of God is more Old Testament based than it is based on that of a Roman soldier. And so back to the Old Testament we go and back to Isaiah we return. The kind of shoes that Paul has in mind, you can find in Isaiah 52. 
Let's consider verses 7 through 10 in Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Incredible passage. And these are the shoes that Paul has in mind. These are the shoes that can go through all the terrains of life, all the terrains of cultural acceptance or rejection. These are the shoes that the believer is to out, be outfitted with. Shoes of good news of peace. In that Isaiah 52 passage, we see two people in this passage. Two people in the picture. One is the heralds who are returning with good news. They have their good news shoes on and they come running back. And the other is the watchmen. They're the ones awaiting the news. So what's going on here? Well, using this Old Testament imagery in this picture of what it looked like in that, that day, you have the idea of two nations warring against one another. And, it, and wherever they met for battle, they would be sending heralds back to their main cities with the news of the outcome of that battle. So they were either returning with terrible news of defeat, decrying out to everyone, pack up your stuff and flee the opposing enemy one and they're coming. Or they were returning with news of victory. Our king won. We get to continue to live. We get to continue to live here. So they're coming back with great news of great joy. And so in this scene, we see a herald running in such a way that the watchmen see the good news before they hear the good news. The watchmen respond with joy because the heralds are returning with great joy. So the shoes that they are running in are good news shoes with great joy. The heralds arrive with the shouts of victory. Our God reigns. He won. I believe one of the biggest ways we can be ready to share the good news is to be a people who are showing the joy of good news. Like heralds running with the adrenaline of joy. Or watchmen who break forth with joy. We can live out our lives in a countercultural way in a bleak world. We have the most remarkable news of all. God has won. He has won over all my sin. He has won over the grave. He has won over all darkness, all evil. God has won. Is there anything more joyful than that? That kind of joy is to mark the lives of those who put on these shoes. Imagine if you were that herald and you were given the task to run back to the cities and to say, we won. 
Would you saunter about? Would you meander? Or would you with haste, with great joy, with great adrenaline run? Run with such news. As joy is to be a joy that's rooted in good news. It's not to be rooted in good vibes or good feelings because our vibes and feelings can come and go and go up and down. No, this joy needs to be anchored in good news. And our Isaiah passage actually gives us the kernel form of good news. It's a template of the good news that has progressed through all of Scripture and culminates in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The good news that's centered in this Isaiah passage is the same kind of good news that we get to announce and share and show in the gospel. And what is it? Well, there are three parts to this joy that's anchored in such good news. The first is our God reigns. The God wins. And we see this culminating in Jesus. Jesus wins over sin. Jesus wins over death. Jesus wins over Satan. Jesus wins over evil. Jesus wins. That's the joy. We live in a world filled with things that are broken and and cultural values that are always shifting and changing. And we have news of of the one who is over it all and he is victorious. Verse 7 in Isaiah 52 says it this way. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes or proclaims peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God So our joy is anchored to the fact that God reigns. He is over all and he wins. Secondly, we find that our joy is to be anchored in good news and that our God redeems. That God redeems and comforts his people. Jesus saves desperate and hopeless sinners. He brings comfort to those who are lost, but now rescued. In verse 9, it says, Break forth together into singing, you waste place of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Our, our joy is anchored in that God reigns and God redeems. He rescues the broken and the lost, the hopeless. He rescues sinners who have rejected him. He rescues and redeems. Our joy is anchored these things. It is to shape our lives and our very lives living in light of that joy is showing forth good news. God reigns. God redeems. And then thirdly, we see it in that God, our God restores. That that which God reigns over and his redeeming work gets put on full display for all to see. For all to see. And we see this culminate in the personal work of Christ. Jesus undoes what has been broken. Jesus brings back together better than what was lost. And we have the joy of hope and the hope of joy. We're not believing in something that can just sort of fritter away. All will see, verse 10, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of the Lord. Our lives are to be marked with such joy and such wonder and such hope. A joy and wonder and hope that's rooted in this very good news. 
that it would mark us and, and encourage us and shape us, that it, it would be showing forth out of the way that we live. We live in a very tense world right now. So much of it is, is, is in constant turmoil and conflict, constant chasing, constant racing, constant. The information of what's happening in and around the world comes to us immediately. It's overwhelming. It's sensory overload. And we're feeling the weight of that as a people. Since 2012, so much of our Western culture is buckling under all of this as we see staggering numbers of those who are struggling with all sorts of mental and emotional concerns and difficulties. We're buckling under the weight of brokenness as a society, as a people. There is so much unhealth. And we have this incredible joy in the midst of all of life, in the midst of all the things that life can bring. We have for us, available to us, at work in us, a never-ending source of joy that's real and deep and honest. So much of the way we live can show forth that which our heart is clinging to. I ask in the midst of whatever circumstances may be going on in and around your life, what are you clinging to? We have a God who reigns and redeems and restores. And this is of great joy, of great wonder, of great hope. Before we speak about speaking about this, are we saturating our hearts and our lives? Are we clinging to it ourselves? Are we showing forth in our lives the joy that our God reigns and that our God redeems and that our God restores? Going forward in our day and age, for those of you younger than me even, I think that will be the most impacting powerful evangelistic tool that you could possibly have living with the joy of the Lord. Don't underestimate how powerful that may be. Put on those shoes and let the joy of the Lord strengthen your steps in this hour. Now we do need to not only be ready to show good news, but we need to be ready to share then that good news. That there is an actual declaring of good news that happens. And that we would have a readiness to share that. Paul's focus here on footwear is really to drive home the intentionality of readiness. If footwear in Paul's day meant readiness for whatever terrain and whatever distance, then that same sort of thinking, that same sort of thought pattern is to be employed and applied to our readiness to make much of Jesus to others. That we would be ready no matter what the situations and circumstances of our lives, of our relationships, of the people around us, 
the knowing that people around us are wanting and longing for something, for some sort of hope, and we have the answer for that, that we'd be ready for that. The, the use of shoes is to drive that home. And when we think about readiness, what it does for us is that it drives home the idea of urgency. Now, urgency can be something that is time-based, and that certainly could be possible here. But urgency also could be something of importance-based, something that is of the most urgent importance. And I think that's more of the lean here, that this readiness about urgency is a readiness about how important it is to share this good news. While we don't know how many days we or anyone will live, the idea here is more about living with an importance-based urgency. That we see in increasing ways that the hope of such good news and the joy of such good news is so significant that it leads to the urgency of sharing such good news. Especially in light of the world in which we live. One commentator, Ian Duguid, says this, Our task is simply to proclaim the good news of God's peace to broken and oppressed souls wherever and whenever we encounter them. Simple, straightforward. Anybody, by show of hands, finds that overwhelmingly intimidating? (laughs) None of you raise your hands. Shameful. It is an intimidating task in our day and age. Things really are right now so polarized and politicized in our day. Everything seems to be so reactionary, so argumentative, and as such, very little focus on sharing actual good news with others seems to be happening. We have culture wards and political frenzies. Unfortunately, we have egregious falls and abuse from the church. And all of these things sort of crock-potted together and have damaged the church's witness as an institution in our culture. There's just no escaping that. We can't ignore it or deny it. That's the reality. However, it's how we are to live as people in normal places, in ordinary places, around normal and ordinary people. It's how we live around them that is going to open the door to sharing. Showing leads into sharing. First Peter is very helpful and there's a familiar passage that speaks to this. First Peter 3.15 says, in your hearts, um, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. You follow that? People ask, Why are you so hopeful in this life? Why are you so different? What is going on in you? What is this thing? You have something different. There's there's something different about your disposition. Something different about your hope, your attitude, the way that you're living. What is this? And Peter is saying, like Paul, when he says, put on the shoes, be prepared to give a reason for that. To explain why there's hope, why there's joy in such a bleak world. That offers counterfeit hopes and counterfeit joys. And people come to find out that the thing that they were spending their whole life on was a counterfeit. It didn't deliver what they hoped it would deliver. Or they've experienced such 
brokenness in this world that they don't want their hearts to trust in anything. And yet they see in the way that we live something that says, why? Peter and Paul are saying, put on the shoes, be ready. Then share. Be ready. Then share. It is intimidating. But when we see it in light of not an... uh, an apologetic to defend, an argument to win, but in, in an explanation why you have of joy and hope in the way that you live, maybe it disarms some of the intimidation. To it. Maybe it disarms it. A guy named Matt Smethers wrote a l- nice little helpful book that might be an encouragement to you if this sort of pricks at your heart a little bit. It's called Before You Share Your Faith, Five Ways to Be Evangelism Ready. He says this, our privilege as gospel communicators is showing non-believers how their deepest longings and hopes are resolved only in Jesus Christ. Resolved only in Jesus Christ. And we are living our lives out of that place of rest and rejoicing and relying that we talked about at communion. We live in light of that. We live out of that. And that is going to be distinct in a world that is increasingly bleak, and broken, and lost, confused. It will stand out. And the privilege is that we get to, to lead longing and broken and lost people to that very good news. Stop and think about your life. How by God's gracious love to you, someone showed you and shared with you such good news. Maybe you grew up in a home and it was a, it was a mom on the regular showing and sharing with you such good news. Or maybe you grew up in the church, but it wasn't until you were a teenager and you were involved and, and there were other adults that were helping in that ministry and they were just simply disarming all of your your concerns and questions and angst by just simply showing you. And then they one day shared with you and it all clicked. Or maybe it was in your adulthood and you were spinning your wheels in your life and it, it just wasn't gaining the traction that you hoped. And it was somebody who came along and showed and shared to you this good news. Think about that over the course of your life and realize like God has been doing that for centuries in the most ordinary, normal, everyday kinds of ways. We wake up on our Monday morning and put on these gospel shoes and live out our lives in such a way that maybe someday down the road, some other preacher sitting here, standing here and some other group of people that make up Trinity are sitting there. And when that preacher says the same kind of thing, I just said, they end up thinking about you. You lived out your life showing and sharing. And they're sitting there because God used you in their lives to see and to hear and to experience such great news of even greater joy. What a privilege. What a privilege. These are the kinds of shoes that Paul has in mind for us to wear. To wake up with. And so what is it that we share? Well, I already gave it to you. The source 
of our joy is the structure of our message. The structure of our good news. That our God reigns is the source of our joy, but it's also part of our good news. There is so much brokenness in our world, so much bondage to things that are dead, so much pain being treated with poison. Imagine the joy of knowing such good news that God has overcome it all. He wins. It is our joy, but it is also our message. He wins. And we are saying to a people, to a cultural moment in our day and age, that you cannot find this kind of joy anywhere else in the world. And you know that. You don't have to convince people of that. They'll know. I love what Tim Keller says. No created thing can satisfy your heart if you get it or forgive your sins if you fail it. For millennia, people have been living that experience out. A good thing, something like family or career or health, can't be an ultimate thing. When we ask it to be an ultimate thing, disappointment and disillusionment will soon follow. Only God can be ultimate. And our message is, God is ultimate! He won. I can't imagine what this must do to our emotional and physical and spiritual health and well-being to chase after something, to get it and find it is empty. But our good news is that God reigns and that through Jesus He can and He will and He does What we are saying is the good news. Secondly, the source of our joy is the structure of our message is that not only does God reign is our joy and also our message, but God redeems is also our joy and our message. In Isaiah's day, people had hard hearts and blind eyes and deaf ears and repeatedly ignored God's calls to return to him. Yet God didn't bail on his promise to redeem his people from such hard hearts, from such blind eyes, and from such deaf ears. Later on in Isaiah, in Isaiah 61, we get these words, these hopeful words, these longing words for this one great day. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he does just that. When Jesus comes to earth in his incarnation, his first message in terms of his earthly ministry is what? It is him picking up a scroll and reading what? Those very words. In Luke chapter 4, we see this recorded. And then the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, Jesus. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he, Jesus, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus fulfills God's 
purpose and plan and promise of redemption. That is our joy, but that is most definitely our message. In our cultural day, there are many who are spiritually poor and bankrupt, bound up in brokenheartedness, captive to the things of this world. We have the good news that God reigns, he is victorious over it, and he redeems. Thirdly, he restores. He restores. It is our joy and part of our message that one day God will make right all that is wrong by making new all things. It gives us a present day hope to show and to share. That the story is not marked ultimately by brokenness and calamity and sin, but by grace and by gospel and by restoration. So that even if we fumble and fail at sharing the good news, we can take comfort in that God is at work even through us and our lives. We don't have to bog ourselves down with the spiritual anxiety that everything has to be perfect in order to share the good news because everything will not be perfect in order for that to happen. We are live out our lives in light of the joy we have in this good news and we are to be ready to share it. We are to be ready to share it. We do so knowing that there are several schemes that are set up in this world. As we've been looking at each week, as we've been considering the armor of God, we know that this is in light of the schemes that are operating in this world. We see earlier in Ephesians chapter 6. The schemes that are set up against us, against our showing and sharing the good news, I think there are many that we can say. But these three seem to stand out to me. The first is there's a scheme in the world to deaden our joy. To deaden our joy. This scheme seeks to beat us down from the joy of our good news with wave after wave crashing discouragements into our lives. One discouragement after another after another. Seeking to deaden our joy. Instrumental to our showing and sharing is our delighting in and declaring to ourselves the good news. So this scheme is seeking to circumvent our delighting in and declaring to ourselves the good news. So as that our lives won't show good news and our our motivation won't be to share good news. So it's a scheme set to deaden our joy with all sorts of discouragement. Secondly, I think there's a scheme operating to displace our urgency. Again, urgency is about what is most important. And this scheme is to get the church busy with other stuff. Even if that other stuff might be good stuff. But the church would be so focused on this other stuff that it loses its urgency around the best stuff, the greatest stuff, the good news that our God reigns, our God redeems, and our God restores. The church and people of the church expend their passions and energies on things that are not the good news. Certainly for our day and age, we see culture wars and political frenzies distracting the church from showing and sharing good news. And admittedly, discourse in this day and age is quite difficult. But the people who live next to you and near you and around you see your life. As you show joy, there will be opportunities and moments where you will get to share why 
there's this joy. And then thirdly and quickly, there's a scheme not only to deaden our joy, to displace our urgency. I think one that seeks to doubt our impact. To doubt our impact. This scheme preys upon our fears and failures to doubt that we could possibly be used by God to help someone else come to receive the good news. By turning inward, we see all of our weaknesses. Whereas, focusing on our Redeemer, we are encouraged all the more to make much of him. Paul calls us to put on these shoes because this is the kind of world we live in. A world that wants to deaden our joy, to displace our urgency, and to doubt our impact. And yet we have this. We're outfitted with this. We have this in Christ. Christ first wore those shoes for us. And now he says, put these on each day. The shoes we are given in the gospel are to be worn. They actually look better with all the creases and smudges of this life. There's an honesty and a realness that comes with genuine faith lived out in a harsh world. This sort of hope and joy will stand out in a bleak world, so be ready to share such hope and where such hope and joy come from. And you will be amazed how people will long for it, see it, hear it, by God's grace, receive it. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would help us to see the joy that we have in the good news, who you are and what you've done in our doing, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, that it would be a daily delight for our souls, that it would shape our lives and show forth through the way that we live. God, help us to be then mindful and ready with urgency to share where this hope and where this joy comes from. Help us to be a people eager to do just that. One to each other. Help us to be people eager to make much of Jesus together. That we would delight together in all that you are and all that you have done. And that from that delighting together, we would be eager to share to those around us in this world Asking things of this world to give what only you have to give. That we'd be eager to share and show where this comes from. How one gets it. Oh, by your grace, God, would you do that? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, before we leave today, let's rehearse the truth of the gospel. Let's... Meditate on that truth and proclaim what we know about Jesus. In Hebrews are these words. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Will you stand and join us as we sing of the wonders and sing of his grace, that all those things that are ours in Christ Jesus, and we sing of our God who is faithful, yesterday, now, and always. I believe that the dead came to life. 
announcements before we send you off. Uh, first announcement, we want to remind students and parents that today is the last day to sign up for iServe. 
We would love to have your middle school or high school or all are welcome. So make sure you sign up. There's a link on our website if you go there. If you have questions, feel free to ask me. I serve, if you're wondering, is our spring retreat. We're going Memorial Day weekend, Friday through Monday. Berea, and also have all sorts of great times together, chapel sessions, devos, and fun times. So we'd love to have any student who's able to join us for that. Second announcement, this week we are starting our yard sale prep, and we are going to transform this room into like a flea market kind of situation. <laughs> it usually gets a little crazy in here. But today after service, we are going to take down all the chairs on the missions team. So if anyone is willing to hang out and help with that, stack chairs, and we're going to put them around the stage, we will gladly accept any help with that to make it quick work. And um, to remind you, we are accepting donations this week for the yard sale to sell this, Saturday, this coming Saturday. I will be here most of the time during the day this week. You can come by and drop things off through the main entrance. If I'm not here, you can leave it by the door and we'll pull it in. Today, if you threw stuff in your car hoping to drop it off, I know some of you did, we ask that you pull around to this door over here, this black door. We would like to leave the lobby area and all that for fellowship and hanging out and not be crazy with traffic. So pull around to the side, and you can pull your stuff, bring your stuff into that door if you have stuff today to drop off. And we appreciate your donations and your continued support for our mission trip and all the funds that we raise this side would be going towards our summer missions. So appreciate that and your help there. All right, let's go with these words, with gospel shoes on. Go with peace and love and faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>